Hi, this is Kirk Reed. Bear with me as we need a little compliance disclosure. In our practice, we give financial advice to our clients. We know their financial situation in detail before doing so. That's generally not the case with callers we speak with on the show. We can't give truly meaningful financial advice because we don't know the detailed financial situation of the caller. After all, we just met. Any suggestions we make to callers are generic in nature and meant to steer a caller in the right direction. Callers should check with their own financial professionals before implementing any suggestions that we may make. At times on this show, we talk about investments and investment performance. Investment returns are not guaranteed and past performance does not guarantee future results. Good morning. You're listening to McNamara on Money. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed, joined this morning by my brother and business partner, Justin McNamara. Good morning. Good morning. How are you today? I'm doing just fine. All right. We're going to talk about inflation. We're going to talk about favorite topic. It's very timely these days. I feel like that's all I hear about on the financial news and market related news. But it doesn't help that there's an election coming up in, in a few what, a few weeks now. huh? A few weeks. Yep. A week or two, depending on when we when you're hearing this. So we wanted to spend a good amount of time on inflation, probably actually the whole show and some different I'm talking about inflation from some different angles. But I guess I wanted to start off the discussion today talking about risks, risk and reward type stuff. And we're calling the title of today's show is Inflation, the Other Risk. I think it's a, <laughs> sort of the, it's it's certainly a risk to be it, more of a risk now than it generally is historically. Yeah. And we'll dig into that a little bit because inflation is so high. Um, it's like the lesser known risk and it's not a risk that people spend a lot of time thinking about nor really even recognize as a risk. So we wanted to spend a bit of the show today talking about that. I think part of that, and I know we've covered this before, is that for a long time, it hasn't really been much of a risk, right? I would say a lot of our professional lives, inflation hasn't been a huge concern. It was obviously right. it was a, everyone talks about the late seventies, mid to late seventies uh, with lots of inflation, but more recently, like the last decade up until fairly recently, inflation has been very much under control. And that's obviously a different situation right now. In the future, we shall see. Obviously, yeah. we'll cover that as well. I guess I could parallel that to the financial markets, at least in the last. 10 or 12 years or so, there hasn't been, not that there hasn't been risk, but there hasn't been like a realization of the risk or something like that very much in the past 12 or 13 years. Um, I think if you look at, if you could take looks at long-term, there are are lots of long-term time horizons where certain risks are very muted, right? So if you, if you look at inflation, say over the, the last decade or so, really wasn't much of a risk. I was in, in later on, we'll get to some return stuff. And I was looking at bear markets and I looked at the S and P 500 and there the, almost all of the nineties didn't have a bear market, a down 20 top to bottom. Literally it's, it skips over the nineties to talk about a long, that's yeah. a very long decade of, Hey, the market just goes up all the time. So long term, I guess long-term yeah. investing, as we say all the time is not five years. It's, it's like it's 20, 30 it's years, eight or 10 or 20 years. Yeah. Right. Yeah what kind of market you're in. I wanted to talk a little bit about, I, I guess, risk and the difference between in investment risk and inflation risk. And I clearly there's a difference, but I wanted to talk about investment risk first to define that and elaborate that on a little bit and then maybe lead to the risk of inflation. And I and this is timely as well because of where the markets are year to date and being in a bear market and things like that. So I, this is a timely discussion as well in terms of the risk of investing money in the markets. So I guess just to, to back up, when people think of risk in an investment strategy, the risk that they're the risk that you're taking when you invest in stocks, for example, is the risk of losing your money. 
And I wanted to elaborate on that and the difference between losing money and the difference between money fluctuating downward temporarily. And I think that, and we have these conversations all the time, time with clients, especially this year, where it's normal for people to say, I've lost this money when they're looking at their statement as compared to 10 or 12 months ago. And, you know, the the first thing out of my mouth and probably yours as well is, well, it's not a loss, right? It's a downward fluctuation. (laughs) Let's sell it. Let's sell it. Yeah. Let's correct the language first and let's explain this as a fluctuation downward. It's not a loss, right? Unless you take action and make it a loss via selling the security, moving to cash or bonds or whatever. I want to, and I wanted to go even a little bit further and talk about the difference between investing in individual stocks versus mutual funds and ETFs. And we can define that because the risks are very different. So if you're investing in, let's just say all of your money, no matter how much it is, you're you're going to purchase stock in one company with it. When you do that, you are actually literally taking the risk of losing all of your money in that investment. Because if you put, let's call it $10,000 and you invest it in some publicly traded company, you put all your 10,000 and you scoop up as many shares as you can of that company, you, there literally is the risk that the value of that investment can go to zero. So that's a very real risk because sometimes the value, sometimes a company in the future isn't worth anything. It goes out of business or it becomes literally worth, worth less or worthless because sometimes companies don't become successful and turn profits and grow. And that's a, and so that is a very real risk. I, you literally can risk losing all of your money or a very significant amount of your money investing in one, in stock of one company. Yep. It's, that's a very different risk than investing in what we would call like a diversified group of securities, which is a mutual fund and index funds, exchange traded funds. Many people have heard all these t- terms. These are the types of investments where you are investing in stocks, but you're not investing in one or two or three or four stocks. You're investing in like generally hundreds, if not thousands. So your $10,000, if you invest it in a mutual fund or an an index fund, let's say like an S&P 500 index fund, a lot of those people see those in their 401k choices lineup right now, then you're you're spreading that $10,000 across hundreds of companies. So their risk of your money literally going to zero is almost non-existent. It would have to be very extreme circumstances for like the 500 biggest companies in the US. For example, if we're talking about an S&P 500 index fund, of them all becoming worthless. That's like the worst situation you can possibly imagine. The only thing I can think of is like a global nuclear war, like a health pandemic that like wipes out the population. And that's not, and then it it doesn't matter. We're probably not getting many calls about our, how much money do I have left? If the S&P 500 is all out of business, it's probably something much, much worse is going on. Yes, if they're all out of business, we're 
probably out of business as well. People are calling their advisor and saying, hey, I need my monthly income check. You're calling your family to see if yeah. they're alive. So the the risks are very different. Most people I have diverse, at least their big money, their retirement money or the money that they're investing for the long term. Most people, I think, and I hope at least the people that I know and meet have the vast majority of their monies in diversified securities like that. Most people understand the need for diversification. Yeah. However, I don't know that people like quite think it through and understand that the risk of losing money isn't necessarily there. I think they still associate, even though, again, if you think it through and you think about what needs to happen for you to literally lose your money in a stock investment, I don't think, I, I still think people associate investing in stocks with possible literal loss of money. Yep. And that's unfortunate. But for you know, today's show and a little bit of education can help with that. And I know you pulled some data regarding I we have we can find some data to back this up. But you know, every single bear market or downward fluctuation that we've seen in the past in the US stock market, for example, has been recovered from meaning the value of those shares of those companies. Let's use the S&P 500, for example. And just, just, I'm like, I'm always the compliance guy. I was, I was when I would host with dad too. We're talking about in the United States. Let's right. talk about in the United States. Bear market in the United States in the past, or even downward fluctuation that wasn't even a bear market, right? Every correction throughout history, the history of the S&P 500 has been followed by a full recovery from that. Right. So if you look back... There's never been a period of time, again, if we use the S&P 500 as like a proxy for the U.S. market, there's never been a time where a loss was if someone stayed invested in it. We'll talk about behavior in a little bit. Yep. But and again, not everyone has that perspective. And it's hard to have perspective and think clearly when you're in a when you're in a bear market and you are seeing sizable fluctuations downward in your portfolio and it's easy to panic and all that stuff. Yeah. But history tells us and compliance disclosure, past performance does not guarantee future results and and all that. But every market in the past has been followed by a recovery in time. Sometimes that takes years. And that can be very hard for people. But I just I think it's really important for people to understand the difference between the risk of loss in a stock investment and the risk of going through a period of time of downward fluctuation. Okay, And that can be and that still that downward fluctuation can be scary. But the risk of loss, literal loss, something that couldn't be recovered from is very small if someone has enough time to recover from it. And I guess we can talk about portfolio design and time horizon and all that stuff that ties in. You should be invested appropriately so you have time to recover from it, but that's sort of separate topic. And I just, just to follow up on that, you mentioned the um, individual stocks versus, versus pooled products like mutual funds or ETFs. Uh, They're really, they're, the risk of loss, and I actually don't have the current number of publicly traded companies in the United States. I know there's, it's usually somewhere in the 5,000 range, although it could be give or take, who knows, 500 or more. I think, let's see, in 2020, 110 publicly traded companies went bankrupt, right? So they, they just I have a few years here where you would, they 
I think these are particularly risky years, right? So 2020, 110 publicly traded companies went out of business. If we assume they were somewhere in the neighborhood of 5,000 companies, then that's a, it's still a fairly small percentage, but certainly a risk. 2021 was very small. Only 22 companies went out of business. But then if you get back to more volatile times, 2008 through 2009, it was up in the hundreds again, 138 and then 211. So it's not, it's a, again, not a, there's a reason I think when that when a well-known company goes out of business, it makes the news and you generally hear about it, right? Like the Enrons and the Kodaks of the world, but it, it, it certainly is a risk that you can lose all of your money and it happens for maybe 50, a hundred times, um, per year here, at least in the U S you mentioned that yes, the risk of loss exists when you invest in individual companies, but okay. that you were talking about individual companies going out of business. It would be interesting to know. Can you tell where you're getting that information? Can you tell, the size of the companies that went out of business? Are they, you know, because in the world of investing in publicly yeah. traded companies, we have large, large cap, big, huge companies. We have midsize, we have small, and we have very small. Does yeah. it go that into that it, much detail? I think generally speaking, by the time they are the average company that goes into bankruptcy, and this is just, this is anecdotal, just me reading. Usually by the time that filing happens, the, it's a tiny company because you yeah. know, it's, it's been traded oh, down. Oh, right? I see. So it's not, yeah, you know, there's, yeah, yeah. there are some spectacular yeah. falls. Enron was a huge company and yeah. then all of a sudden it went out quickly because of, that was because they were there was lying and cheating involved, yeah. not because it was just a lousy business model. Like the market's usually onto it by the time it happens, so it's not a massive as you normally. But um, right. but you know, occasionally that will happen as well. Okay, I guess just a couple more things on the risk of investment investment risk before we get into inflation risk. I guess just the we'll get into inflation risk in a moment, but I think investment risk clearly it's it can be scary, which is why the risk of inflation is. I guess I'll skip ahead a minute. The risk of inflation is like when you have too much cash in the bank and inflation eats away at purchasing power. But that's not a very scary risk because you're not you're not see and like you said at the very beginning of the show it hasn't been a scary risk for a long time because we've had very low inflation. So cash right. hasn't really lose lost much purchasing power in the last decade or so. And it's also not but even now with inflation being high, it's also not a very scary risk because you don't literally have to see your money. You're right. not seeing that loss in purchasing power. You might feel it a little bit when because life is costing you more, but you're not looking at your bank account balances and seeing them. It's not reporting your purchasing power loss the way that on a financial statement, it is reporting your market value downward fluctuation or what people would call a loss. It's way less. It's a very real inflation risk is a very real risk, especially right now, has been for the last year, probably will continue to be a risk the next year or two or more. But it's just not as scary because there's not the same emotional component to it. And people don't have to they they don't have to live the reality of it when they log right. on and see their stuff. So I think that's a very real, very real difference. It's like in investing. It's some people love investing in real estate because they don't have to open their you don't you don't open your your rental yeah. properties monthly statement every every month and say, oh man, my, my property's down by 5% in value. I just lost $50,000. That's yeah. it's, it's very slow and unseen. And really it's, if the bank actually reported purchasing power, right? If your yeah. monthly statement was said, even if you still had $25,000, but all, now all of a sudden next month it purchases like 24,970, you, you may, 
notice it more, but hey, that's just not how it works. You may take different action, which is something that we wanted to focus on today. Let's go a little bit further on inflation risk before we get into some numbers. The risk that I, first of all, you know, the risk that we're talking about today is for, is really applies to people that have large amounts of cash because cash still isn't earning very much unless you put in a little effort to find some CDs or find a little bit of yield in savings accounts. But the risk right now is that cash isn't yielding very much and inflation has been, most recent read for inflation was 8.2% annual September to September, September 21 to September 22. And it has been that high or a touch higher for the last almost year going back. So inflation at eight or 9% per year, while cash in the bank is earning 1%, one and a half, maybe people are getting two or three if they're looking for some CDs, but a difference of seven or 8% means your cash between inflation and what you might be getting for yield on cash it means your cash is losing purchasing power by a pretty high percentage, seven or 8% per year. So therein lies the risk. And hopefully it's a short term risk. The Fed is doing what they can to lower inflation, I, but it's it seems to be going pretty slowly. And it sounds to me like it could take years for inflation to really come down to what the Fed thinks is an appropriate target of, I guess their target's two and a half percent per year. And I guess by short-term risk, this could be a few years easily, but something that needs to be discussed because it's hard because this is a period of time where people feel really good having cash in the bank. There's a lot of talk about a recession coming and we're starting to see layoffs here and there. And so it's on one hand, it's a great time to carry cash, but I think part of the discussion today should be, okay, how much, what's a reasonable amount of cash and what risk are you willing, what risk are you willing to take? I have cash at, I have cash maybe at around, I think I'm just looking on bankrate.com, which does a pretty good job of compiling rates. A three-year CD maybe is in the 3% range. A savings account now, maybe you're up in the 1% range, but that's still yeah. a long way from 8.2. And But on the other side, right, you are planning to leave cash. Clearly, you're, you generally risk losing your purchase power, purchasing power, even, even after the interest that you're accumulating. A lot of times in your investment account, it's, you may be down, you may be down 20%. Plus, an inflation is up 8.2. So you're technically even worse. Although that's, as we're going to talk about later, that's hopefully temporary unless you unless you have sold out of it. I guess just we've got like a couple of minutes before the break and then we'll go a little okay. bit further regarding inflation. But so just to put it into perspective, and I, we touched on this earlier in the show, inflation very like I think the last time I looked and I went back like 100 years, inflation has averaged like... 2.8% per year or something like that. Something less than 3% per year is a very, very long-term average inflation. Yep. But like you mentioned, coming out of the credit crisis, the last decade or so, inflation has been very low, like less than 2% per year. So like you were saying earlier, this hasn't really been, people haven't, there's been no yield on cash in the bank in the last decade, but with inflation at 2% per year, it was like, eh, it didn't really, it wasn't really a risk. It wasn't right. really a real risk. Although I have some, although I have some interesting numbers to crunch regarding per, losing purchasing power, even by 2% per year for a long time can really comp can really add up. Yeah. Yep. Uh, but now if we see inflation has been eight or 9% the last year or so, it might continue to be high. But even if we see 5% average inflation for the next few years, that's a very different scenario in terms of loss of purchasing power than two or two and a half percent 
for five or 10 years. So the risk, I think, even though we're, the government is, is doing what they can to control it and bring it down and hopefully they'll bring it down quickly. But the risk, I think this is still a risk that could be, you know, could last for several years. So something to consider. Even if, even if we get back to a more, I think we yeah. can... Even if they are able to bring it down, which I think it's a very reasonable expectation that they can bring it down from levels this high. But it doesn't mean that yeah. we're going to go back to the 2010s where it was sub 2% per year. A more, right. The long-term average inflation is has always been more around 3%. We've been using 3% in our planning assumptions for, I think, for as long as we've had planning assumptions and that we were sticking into a, a financial planning calculator. And just because it's not going to be, just because it may come down off of eight doesn't mean it's going to go back to, to one and a half every year. So it's the kind right. of discussion that you that we should still certainly have. All right. On that note, we just had to take a quick break. We're going to talk more about inflation, the other risk. After the break, you're listening to McNamara on Money. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed, joined by my brother, Justin McNamara. You can find out more about us at McNamaraFinancial.com or McNamaraOfTheMerrimack.com. We're just taking a quick break. We'll be right back. This is Mike McNamara. If you're looking for a financial advisor, start by asking him or her three questions. Number one, are you a certified financial planner practitioner? Number two, are you legally held to a fiduciary standard of care for your clients? And number three, do you only give financial advice and not sell investment products? These are all simple yes-no questions. If he or she doesn't answer yes quickly and starts talking, that's a no, and it's time to move on to another advisor. And we're back. You're listening to McNamara on Money. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed, joined by my brother, Justin McNamara. Good morning again. Good morning. We are talking about inflation this morning. Very. Is everyone sick of hearing about it? I hope not. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I think so, because otherwise it wouldn't be on the news so much. Yeah. I feel like people are not sick of hearing about it because yeah. they're dealing with it in real time. It's high inflation is what we had just talked about. It's pervasive. It's a pervasive risk from, from the point of view of your bank account. But on the other side of it, it's something that you see clearly at the, not that I go to the grocery store all that often, but people who go to the grocery store and the gas pump, right? It's very, it gets all of a sudden it gets very noticeable. Whoa, this thing, this was way less expensive just a few weeks ago or a few months ago. And now it costs this much money. It's eye popping in that way. So it's, it's a strange dichotomy, I think. I did a calculation calculation recently on inflation on my cup of, on my iced coffee. You did? Oh, you do you have did. your own iced coffee? It's like you're a regular? I, I, I'm pretty consistent. I try not to do it very often, but for a very long time, medium iced coffee from my favorite coffee retailer, which I won't which we don't you're need to gonna, talk about right now. You're not going to, you're not going uh, to, we'll say it's, it's not Starbucks. Okay. Oh, okay. The other, their <laughs> coffee. Known. So inflation has been at worst like 9% per year. Okay. Like the last 12 months, it's been what? 8.2% per year. We started seeing a spike in inflation in 20, what? Mid 2021, early mid 2021. And at worst, it was like 9% per year over on a rolling 12 month. Yep. My, Ice. Okay. I don't have the exact number. My medium iced coffee in 2019. So three years ago. This is just from, this is just from memory. You do it so yes, often that you know the cost. Okay. Yep, there yep. was a time when I was having an iced coffee almost daily, but I, that was, it's not a very good financial habit. So I, I did break the habit and now it's more infrequent. It's less frequent, but anyway, three, I'm not going to remember the exact numbers. It was like something like three years ago, it was $2 and 14 cents for my medium iced coffee. Yep. 
and now it's three dollars and forty seven cents or something like that or three dollars and eighty seven cents for the oh, same wow. medium iced coffee. And so I did the calculation. Of course, I'm not doing it right now just to know if those numbers were exact, but it was something like that. And it came out to twenty three percent per year inflation over three years. And I was like, this doesn't make sense. Inflation at worst at its worst has been nine percent per year. So I don't know what's happening at my favorite. Do shop. on purpose they of course we have lots of inflation measures and we do exclude uh the volatile food and energy prices. There's core CPI and then there's some other CPI that, that you if you take out food and energy. Right. It just right, gets right. the it gets very noisy because of the supply and demand issues with food and energy, and it really moves things all over the place. Sorry, sorry. Yeah. So I now I do it even less frequently than I than I did before, but every once in a while it does just hit the spot. Starbucks does not just look at the CPI number and crank it up Starbucks, by two and a half percent. Starbucks was always four, yeah, yeah. always four dollars for that medium coffee. It just took the other one a while to get there. There's probably five dollars at Starbucks now. Anyway, okay. So we were talking about the rest. I like to do math on the show. So I wanted to do a little bit of math, but I just wanted to touch on, this is something I guess I probably learned from dad years and years ago that again, under the heading of inflation, the other risk or the lesser known risk in terms of loss of purchasing power, it is just interesting to think about cash and savings accounts, money markets, CDs. These are what we call guaranteed investments, right? Yeah. Where they're, you're not risking principal on the downside and it's a guaranteed return on the upside, even though in, very, in, in recent years, it's been very low return, but still it's a guaranteed no fluctuation downward investment. But we always, okay, I can't, I can't say always. I was going to say we always have inflation, but there have been a few periods of time historically where we've had deflation. But most of the time we have inflation. Right. Where things cost more year over year. And in fact, the government wants inflation in the world. So people spend money and don't wait for later. And so we have an economy. Right. So we normally have inflation. So if we ignore the very few periods of time throughout history where we've had deflation. OK, yep. just, just stick with me here. Guaranteed investments are almost guaranteed to lose money via purchasing power. Not again, like we talked about, not loss of actual nom what we call nominal dollars. Yep. You're not seeing the dollar amount shrink, but they because we the vast majority of the time in someone's lifetime will have inflation, you're guaranteed to lose purchasing power on a guaranteed investment. Okay. I guess you could say you're saying like contractually speaking, because the investment you bought is fixed and there, if there is inflation during that time period, you will lose some money to purchasing power over the time. Whereas I guess you're going to contrast it probably with equities where there's not necessarily a link, right? Where they, because of, because equities and companies can increase prices. Is that where we're going here? My, I guess where I was going first was that there. I, to my knowledge, there has never been and there does not exist currently guaranteed investment where you won't lose purchasing power. Oh, tips, right? We are. We, we, but there are tips you right. can buy from the uh, from the government. There is a guaranteed investment that you can buy and purchase. And so yeah, you can it can be done. All They're right, not fair point. 
They're not super. Fair point. <laughs> they're not super. Very few. <laughs> it's, uh, it's weirdly, yeah. they're weirdly unpopular and they they have other things that affect the prices of them. So if you were just to buy a treasure, a tip, I'm sorry, treasury inflation protected security, you can buy them direct. You can hold them directly in your investment account. And if you're able to get them right away from or from the treasury, then just like buying a CD, your kind of inflation experience is locked in from that point, right? There's a, there's a periodic inflation adjustment that is made and you have an interest rate, potential interest rate over and above that rate of inflation that come that comes with it, right? Maybe you get like a 1% coupon and then you have a periodic adjustment for inflation. And in that sense, you do keep up with inflation. Although, you know what, it's there, there almost no one owns them other than at least very few people that we that we come in contact with. We don't use individual tips and but we do transfer in a lot of investment accounts. And I can't recall ever having to sell a tip in order to reallocate a portfolio. Can you? No, I can't. Yeah. So for whatever reason, they're not popular. Of course, we haven't had inflation for a long <laughs> yeah. time, so they haven't been popular likely for that reason. I, and I-bonds are the same thing. I know I-bonds also, not the same thing. They're a yeah. similar experience where you can deposit your funds with the treasury and you have a an interest rate that is adjusted for inflation. Not very popular. And again, in the case of I-bonds, not, not very convenient either because you're dealing with a treasury direct account. But you can do that. Just most people don't for a variety of reasons. The I, and the I-bonds are funky because as soon as we stop having these great increases in inflation, those are going to yield zero. Right. The, if, if because inflation the, goes back down. Yeah, I yeah. forget the terminology they use, but those two interest rates on those I-bonds, the first one is zero and will is like the permanent interest rate or something. And then there's like the inflationary adjustment interest rate. So when inflation comes down, there's going to be not, there's going to be nothing like six right. months from now. Yeah. There was a reason they weren't popular before, yeah. before yeah. what was it? Mid 2021. Right. Yeah. Okay. All right. But fair point. There's a few out there. Okay. I did a little bit of math regarding, and we should talk about cash targets, but just, yeah. I like to do math. That's fun. So just so people can understand what we're talking about in terms of the risk, if we do this over a short period of time, the risk isn't as prevalent. But with inflation so high, the math is still. So, for example, if you had $100,000 in the bank 12 months ago, that's even though you're still seeing that same $100,000, maybe it's 101000 now or something. Yep. That spends like $91,800 compared to 12 months ago because we've had 8.2% inflation on average via the, I don't know, what's the normal CPI that they use at the CPI U or something via, again, you, there's different measures of inflation, but yep. the one you hear about most frequently is has, was 8.2% year over year. So if you have $100,000 in the bank and it was about the same a year ago, it spends $91,800 as compared to how it's spent a year ago. And that's only over one year. And then if we have an inflation of even 6% this year, and you still have that same 100000 in the bank, it's going to spend like, what, $87,000 next year. So that, that some, something like that. I didn't do the math on that one. So even that, and that's only a two-year period of time. Over a couple years, I'm speculating what inflation will be over the next 12 months, but I think it'll be higher than 2 or 3%. Uh, over just a couple of years, $100,000 in the bank earning one-ish percent is going to spend $86,000, $88,000. And that's just in a short two-year period of time. That's right. And, and also, I assume maybe you're going here anyways. But that's a, unless we have 
deflation on the other side of this and that's a, that's going to be probably more than likely a permanent loss because of because the the world and the economy work better with inflation as opposed to deflation we everyone all of our policymakers really do our, their best to uh, to avoid deflation because it's very destructive for an economy right the so it's more than likely that none of that ever comes back right that purchasing power right. Probably gone. Ideally, what we have is lower inflation, right? So your your eighty eight thousand dollars that are in purchasing power in a few years only then starts to deteriorate more slowly, which right. would be a better situation. But again, that's a that's probably a permanent loss in a way that when we talk about investments and investment volatility, we at least not guaranteed, but we expect based on history that those losses are more than likely temporarily temporary. That's the whole idea here. And that's why we invest the way that we invest. And our expectation is that we're going to have positive equity returns over long periods of time. So we expect them in the market to come back. And it's probably not the case with the purchasing power loss. Excellent point. And the numbers get, I also did some numbers in a more normal inflationary environment yeah, because it still can be scary over longer periods of time, which will lead us into our discussion regarding cash and how much cash to carry and what is arguably too much cash. And again, I, this is an interesting time to talk about it because of potential recession and unemployment and where the markets are. But anyway, um, if you, again, let's talk about that same $100,000 that someone has in the bank. Even in a normal inflationary environment, which I'll call 3%, because that's yep. a very long-term average. And I'm going to even factored in 1% earnings on cash in that 3% inflationary environment, which we haven't had 1% earnings on cash in the last decade or so. But yeah. over the long term, there's been some yield on cash in a normal inflationary environment. So if you have $100,000 in the bank and over 10 years, which is not unusual for people to have cash for a really long period of time, everybody needs cash in the bank, emergency reserves. I'm just, I'm using a higher, high-ish dollar amount for emergency reserves. But $100,000 in the bank for 10 years, if inflation averages 3%, but even if I factor in 1% earnings on cash, so I'm doing a real the difference there is 2% per year over 10 years. Yeah. 10 years later, the $100,000 spends like $81,707. So that's over a long period of time. But even in a normal inflationary and interest rate environment, there there's still the risk of loss of purchasing power because- Generally speaking, cat you know cash and securities like that don't keep up with inflation, and people lose purchasing power. And again, the you, the, the market is going to dictate returns on cash, and we just happen to have been in a market in a market where you have not been keeping up with inflation. In theory, it could go the other way, right? Where inflation is three percent, but your savings account is four percent. They're probably going to all be in usually in the same ballpark. But again, there's certainly no guarantees. And then once you once you actually have positive, we haven't talked about taxes on talk about dating yourself. Dad's always talking about taxes on on banks and CDs, and it's it's just not really something we ever say because in there most haven't. of our lives, it's not even you get yeah. your you get your your 1099 from your bank at the end of the year and it says 10 like, bucks and it's yeah. like, okay, big deal. But in a real environment where you're, yeah. if your savings account is paying you 4% because inflation is 4%, that's also going to be taxable to you, right? You have to, yeah. you may have four grand of interest on your $100,000 bank account and you have to, you have to knock that down by whatever your tax rate's going to be. So anyway. I think it's to piggyback on that discussion. I think it's important for people to, I don't know, ha have targets for what a, an appropriate level of cash is. Certainly the intent of this show is 
is not to talk people out of holding cash. Yeah. Cash is king in bear market. Cash, it, it, cash needs to carry cash for emergencies. But I do think there are times when people carry too much cash. And I guess it's cash makes people feel good, especially yeah. when I meet a lot of people that go through their working lives and never feel like they have a good amount of cash. They never have that comfort of, I've got a 50 or $100,000 in the bank. And yeah. Maybe they get to that point later in life, or maybe they inherit some money or whatever it is. And they get to this point where it just feels really good to have that there. And no, no shame in that and nothing wrong with that. And the, um, the emotional comfort of that might be worth the purchasing power loss. And that's perfectly fine as long as people understand it. Yep. But I do think it's at least worth the discussion in situations like that. And sometimes I'll meet somebody with $400,000 in cash. And if, you know, very few people need an emergency reserves of $400,000, you'd have to be spending at a pretty high level to, to justify that just as a pure emergency reserves, unless there was another purchase you had in mind, real estate or something like that. But Sometimes I'll meet people with very large amounts of cash and it just warrants the discussion of how much do you really need? What's a prudent amount to keep for emergencies or whatever spending in the near future? And then, well, what's an appropriate amount to potentially invest, albeit conservatively? Because you and I know that there are, I guess like in a market like this, a lot of people, people are... Nervous to invest right now because they're seeing downward fluctuations of 15, 20, 25%. And so it's an uncomfortable time to be an investor. But you and I know that there are different ways to be an investor and different portfolios that are that fluctuate downward to different degrees. Having said that, of course, this is a very unusual year where even conservative portfolios are down in the double digits temporarily fluctuating downward in the double digits. But but there is a difference between down 15 and down 25 Yeah, right now. And that could be the reality of someone in a conservative portfolio versus someone in a more aggressive portfolio. Um, yeah. I think you certainly have to take time. I, I feel like I spend, I feel like I spend half my time talking people into more cash and the other half trying to talk them yeah. out of having too much cash. It's, I mean, it's very much a mirror of the, of how aggressive to be in this, in the markets, as far as your investments go. It's certainly more comfortable to have a bunch of cash because you don't have to, you don't have to watch it fluctuating, but there is your, you will give up something as far as long-term wealth generation by holding more cash than you quote unquote need. There's like a, there's an amount that you probably need to have, right? An advisor would say, oh, you need, what's your potential exposure to emergencies, right? Via job loss, or if you're a homeowner, you need a new roof or a new, a new HVAC system. Um, then there's, you can add on something for a comfortable level as well. But once you get up to substantial amounts, you're really probably going to be hurting your long-term wealth generation, which is fine for a lot of folks. I know you yeah. and I both have clients that have, have an amount of cash that is really not going to make them wealthier over time. And they could make a different decision with it, but they just choose not to. And that's okay if you have enough money, but if you're, if, if, if your retirement outlook is a bit more in doubt, then it may be the kind of thing that you want to take a look at. Certainly now as the market's down and it's a better time to invest than it was 10 months ago anyway. I, again, I spend many, I guess I probably spend many, half my meetings these days talking about how it's a great time 
to invest. And the other half talking about how if retirees are pulling money out and cash in the portfolio is depleting, that's like the other half of my meetings these days. But but there I've recognized many situations recently where if you even if you just listen to the the data and the statistics, there is a lot of cat there. It's depleting, but there is a lot of cash on the sidelines now, meaning personal banking, personal cash balances across the nation um, have been pretty high coming out of COVID and this, the government stimulus and people's inability to spend on travel and dining out and things like that through 2020 and into 2021. So personal cash balances have been very healthy the last couple of years. I.e. there, I think it's dwindling and I'm starting to hear about that's coming down and credit card balances are starting to creep up. It's changing a little bit, but there is what you and I would call cash on the sidelines, meaning potentially cash to invest. Of course, it's specific to the investor regarding whether or not it should be emergency cash or whether or not it's really excess cash available for investment. But the whole point is that if someone has a lot of cash in the bank, inflation risk is a real risk and might be time to evaluate how much do you really think you need for emergencies factoring in, yes, maybe we're entering into a recession and maybe bulking up that cash balance to six to 12 months instead of three to six months of living expenses, something to consider in, in, in an economy like this. But then really digging into, do I have some money that's investable, even potentially in a conservative portfolio? And in a conservative investment portfolio, that there's different definitions of that, depending on who you talk to. But Really, the goal from my perspective for a conservative investment strategy is like, let's at least keep up with inflation and do so with a minimal amount of risk to my principal on the downside. But of course, there is still the risk. And interestingly, now you, you hear that statistic about how much about how much more cash than average U.S. families have on hand. You will hear it in the discussion about, hey, maybe this is a good time to invest because if people decide to invest that cash, it may push stock prices up. But you also hear it in the inflation context where as if to say, hey, they're raising interest rates, but people still have a bunch of cash on the sidelines. And so they're just going to keep spending and buying stuff and inflation is going to continue along. So I, there's kind of two sides to the coin. And uh, certainly I think from our point of view, we might say that's a decent, both of those could be true. And that's probably a decent reason to maybe think about investing any excess that you have, because if it is the case that you're going to, people are going to bring cash off the sidelines to to buy stocks, at least that helps you keep up with inflation again, over some likely over some time period, whether or not that's the next six months to a year or longer. We can talk about that later. All right. That was some depressing stuff. So how about the good news? The good news regarding inflation. I guess one thing is that wages are higher. That's you and I know that's not good. Having to raise wages is not good for inflation in general. But the good news is that we how many years went by where we didn't hear about where we heard that there have been like no, there hadn't been wage increases in like a decade <laughs> yeah. leading up to 2021 or 20. And now we're finally hearing about wage increases. And it's a result of the tight labor market and yeah. employees changing jobs, being a little bit more in control regarding demand for wages and things like that. Anyway, that the good news is that people's salaries on average across the nation have started to come up. And... Good news regarding any Social Security recipient. You pulled some information regarding Social Security and Medicare premiums, which was a surprise to me. I didn't know that. Those are actually going down next year. Yeah, I think... 
And this is just from the Social Security website. I see they say I'm, they're projecting an 8.7 percent increase in Social Security benefits for 2023. Or and I think actually this may that may be an average number. So they're using I think there's 70 million Americans who are on Social Security, and the average so the average Social Security benefit is going to be bumped by 140 dollars per month starting oh. in January, which is obviously one of the, we constantly talk with clients about when to take social security, what's the most appropriate time. We often have the discussion about trying to wait because social security benefits are indexed for inflation, which again, certainly in the retirement, we talk about inflation risk a lot more in the retirement discussion. Hey, it's time to retire. You're going to need income. And how do we fight inflation over that time frame? I think people are more I think they pay a bit more attention to that whole thing when they're retired and they're on fixed incomes. But so we do have that discussion a bunch and Social Security is indexed for inflation. If you're on Social Security, you're going to be seeing a bump for 2023 and it's going to be a good size one because it's based on inflation. That's awesome. There was a pretty good bump this past year, as I recall, as well. I think it started, it really kicked up in mid 2021 was when we jumped up over like the 5% annualized number. So it was a decent jump last year. Six or 7%, I thought. I I can't remember the specifics, but okay. 8.7% increase in Social Security. And then you found something about Medicare is actually going down next year. Medicare Part B premiums? Yes, that's right. I do have it. And again, this is not something, not being of Medicare age, I don't pay a too much too much attention to it although we do put it in a lot of plans. These are fairly minor changes. It looks like the, uh, and again, Medicare is adjusted for income. So this is like the baseline number. It's most and most be, people play into this one. Lord. Wouldn't be dad's. Not, it's not our old man's number, but it's uh, the vast majority of taxpayers. If you're retired and in, in the lower brackets, I think it's 170 ish dollars was the part B premium. Uh, that's a monthly yeah. number and it's actually dropping uh, to about 165. So not a huge after inflation, right? You would expect it to be yeah. going up, but it's actually going down. So uh, a few extra bucks in your pocket on a monthly basis, as far as the Medicare premium goes, I want to say it says in 2022, Medicare Part B premiums went up a lot to cover projected spending on a new Alzheimer's drug, among other things. But Medicare's cost for Part B came in lower than expected this year. So now that savings is being passed on to enrollees. Yep. Hence the reduction. Cool. And I guess the annual, this is not a, the annual deductible for Part B is going down by $9 from 233 to 226. So a, a, awesome. a bit of savings yeah. on Medicare front, which, hey, we'll take, we'll it. take it's it. Not usually, it's not usually the case that you get, you yeah. get spend less money, not more any given year. All right, let's take a quick break. We got, we'll go through some of the IRS inflation numbers too, before we move on to market related stuff. You're listening to McNamara on Money. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed, joined by my brother, Justin McNamara. We're talking about inflation today, the other risk. We'll talk about markets as well. Another still a timely discussion. We're just taking a quick break and we'll be right back. 